So if you have a goth teen <laughs> or a goth curious teen, have I got a book for you to give to them for Christmas. It's a book written by, well, it's written by me. It's called Malroe and the Midnight Organ Fight, and it's now in paperback. It is about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders one summer in San Francisco, and that summer happens to be a bloody one. A lot of the book takes place at night. There's murder. There's heavy metal. There's uh, organ removal. There are ninjas in Tom Ford suits. There's a Russian guy who swings a cleaver and doesn't wear a shirt. I mean, nothing says Christmas like that, right? So if you have a teenager who's dark and smart and gothy and emo, this is the perfect book for them. Pick it up at your local bookstore. Stop sending Jeff Bezos to space. I know Amazon's convenient. I get it. But sometimes, like when it comes to keeping local indie bookstores alive, there are more important things than convenience. And let's face it, your local indie bookstore, they don't care about traveling to space. They care about paying their rent. So help them do that. Order my book, which is now in paperback, from them, and everybody wins. My intern just slipped me a note and she wrote, Does it feel weird to keep plugging your book on your podcast? No, it doesn't feel weird. Well, maybe a little weird, but not that weird. Where else am I going to plug it? What, am I going to stand in front of CVS and be like, hey, I wrote a book? <laughs> well, maybe that doesn't sound like that bad of an idea. Maybe I'll give it a try. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I put the of my guest today on the program, Aaron McEwen. Let me tell you a little bit about Aaron McEwen. Well, the Virginia-born Aaron McEwen is probably best categorized as uncategorizable. Whether she's playing guitar with the Mountain Goats, tearing through big band music in a tailored suit, or writing an off-Broadway musical, McEwen pretty much does it all. A graduate of Brown, over the course of her over 20-year career, McEwen has put out almost 15 solo albums, toured with Andrew Bird, Thea Gilmore, Josh Ritter, and the Indigo Girls, played Bonnaroo and Glastonbury, had her music appear in commercials and TV shows, was the resident artist at Providence, Rhode Island's revolutionary community arts organization AS220, and she was the 2011-2012 fellow at Harvard's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society. Not only that, McEwen was the recipient of a 2016 Writing Fellowship from the studios of Key West, and in 2018, she had a residency at the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. Not only is McEwen a musician who tours tirelessly, she's currently a professor of the practice 
at her alma mater. Meanwhile, her new album, Kiss Off, Kiss Off, is a raw blast of nervy rock and roll that's got street-smart snarl and poetic grit. But in spite of all that snarl and grit, Aaron McEwen is a really nice person. And this is an awesome conversation. So here you go. Me and Aaron McEwen having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. got home yesterday from um a long tour that i did in someone else's band and then uh, i'm home for like two days and then i leave again on wednesday so i'm curious because when you say you're working in someone else's band um yeah. i've been thinking so much i've been reading so much about the ego lately it's a good topic and and i was realizing like you know and as i've gotten older i've found that i've let go of the ego in ways I never thought I could. But I also find that the ego sort of rises and falls depending where I am and who I'm with. So I'm wondering for you, when you're doing your own thing versus being in somebody else's band, do you feel a difference in terms of your ego and how you're presenting yourself and how you're feeling? Definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, I, I think like besides being a musician, like my spiritual practices dealing with ego <laughs> you know what i mean it just i don't need to be more specific about it but that's basic that's basically it like and um and in in that practice you know that you could think about a difference between being humble and being humiliated right and so so i strive to be humble which is to accept this, you know, the circumstances I'm in and to find, you know, pride and worth and all of that in those circumstances. And then the ego is not an issue for me. So I spent a, I spent a month uh, working in the Mountain Goats, uh, which is, you know, a fantastic band. Um, John Darniel is one of the, you know, one of our great contemporary songwriters. Yeah. Um, I think I'm also one of our great contemporary songwriters. And so the balance between between holding that um, is the essential tension. But for me, I took pride in being able to learn 40 songs in a month. I took pride in being able to like execute those songs and to, to learn them even better and to try to elevate the people around me. And that gave me a sense of worth rather than being like, Ugh, I'm better than all these people. Why don't I draw the same amount as John Darniel? Or why don't people think my songs change their lives? Whatever all that stuff that ego would be telling me. So to remain humble in that situation is the practice rather than like, I can't believe me, the big star has to be in somebody else's band, you know, <laughs> right. which is just like, just not useful. And um, it was a, such a great experience for me. Um, I just had a, I had a great time. Um, had a great time, you know, uh, do I wish that I had a riser? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
so do I. Of course. Who doesn't want a riser on stage? Um, but, uh, but other than that, it's like, it's like what I said, you know, I gave you the list of things that I really took pride in and I felt like I was able to do. And, um, and that really took care of the ego stuff for me. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Cause I, you know, I read Wolf and White Van and I'm a writer and I thought my first, you know, I'm a little competitive. And my first thought was I could do this. I'm like, I could not do that. Um, he wrote an incredibly in- inventive and specific book. I never could have written. And 25 pages into the book, I went, you know what, this is just a, a marvelous book. Let's just enjoy it and take you out of the equation. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Cause it's like, I, you know, I like firmly believe um, that there's like uh, an Aaron shaped hole in the world that only I can fill. And there's an Alex shaped hole that only you can fill. And so like you write a different, you get to write a different book. And how great is that? Right. Right. And and this is also saying, I I also completely am competitive and totally have those moments of thinking those things. That's the tension. It's like, I'm, I'm no saint about it. The tension is to always be, for me, always be working through those things. So like, yeah, I'll exactly like op- open a novel or listen to somebody's album and have that moment and then apply my spiritual practice, rethink, take a moment. And then life is just more enjoyable. As, as you said, like you just got to enjoy this marvelous novel. Right. Right. And it has nothing to do with me. I'm like, why, why am I making it a competition? Right. right. Well, that's what the ego wants, right? The ego wants to say that you, you know, I, one of my favorite also um, phrases about like the ego is like, um, that describes me perfectly is like, uh, I'm the greatest piece of shit that ever lived. Right. So it's like, and my self-hatred is of Olympic proportions. I have the best self-hatred of anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, I'm always working with that kind of stuff. Isn't it interesting to have that and that competing narrative, which is a different voice of also to have that tremendous sense of oneself of I deserve a riser, right? To have those two. Right. right. At some level, like to do anything like what we do as um, public people, right? You know, my, my job is, yes, I'm a musician. Yes, I'm a songwriter. But in some ways, I'm just... Um, trying to to move things around in public, right? What, whether it's, uh, I'm also a professor, um, you know, I write music, I write other things, um, but I'm really just trying to like interact and move things around in public. And there is a certain amount of ego that does have to be there in a healthy way to, to um, I guess, give you the confidence um, or at least like allow you to keep going in the face of maybe not um, the recognition or maybe the money or whatever it is. Um, so there's a certain healthiness to that, um, to believe that you can contribute something that's helpful to people. I agree with you. And I also think that, I mean, it makes me wonder also when you started and you got on stage and you were being looked at versus getting on a stage now and being looked at, do you interpret the gaze in a totally different way than you did when you were younger or when you first got started? Has, how does the ego deal with that? Um, gosh, I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, what it makes the, what that makes me think of is, um, my changing like gender expression, Mm -hmm. which, um, has just been, you know, just has changed over the years. Um, if you look at, um, what I looked like when I first got on stage as, um, you know, I was in high school, uh, when I first started playing out and, um, 
terrified terrified of it to be totally honest like like full of stage fright it was something i always wanted to do but was also just like terrified of um and then you you know two two nights ago at the last minute the mountain goats needed an opener so um i stepped in and opened for them which i've done many times over the past years but but uh certainly hadn't done since pre-pandemic but it was like you know 500 something people at this place in columbus ohio and it's just like okay like i didn't bring the clothes that i would usually bring to to be an opener i sort of brought my band outfit which is a more humble outfit um do you know what i mean so yeah. so so thinking about that um that's how, that's what that makes that's not an answer to your question um but it's just an um attention i was just thinking about recently of um uh, i didn't feel entirely comfortable a couple of nights ago because i didn't I wasn't presenting um my physical body i wasn't i wasn't um uh, participating in the gaze in the way that I wanted to, right? Uh, because it was, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have my nice clothes, um, and uh, I, I think that's part of it. Is I, th I think it's, it's all. I've always felt better about the whole thing if I'm able to present as I want. It's like a transaction. It's like a uniform, right? For sure, for sure, and and um, and uniforms can be again humble in a really cool way it also makes me wonder sometimes people who have a complex uniform like somebody like i don't know like gene simmons is coming to mind <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> um, but like there's just a lot of adornment and a lot of which is kind of a cool i was thinking it's kind of a cool thing because you can age behind the makeup and no one knows right mm -hmm. like yeah. oh gene simmons looks the same and it's like well no he doesn't really look the same but the uniform has kept him the same it was a really smart strategy right there's it's a, a lot of communication i think to to an audience right to have a uniform like that and i do think gene simmons is actually great an extreme example of that um that i I think that kind of consistency in a communication of 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 your your body, et cetera, et cetera, um, is probably to the advantage of creating a music career or any type of public career. And it brings me back to just, you know, thinking about I just happen to be someone who over the years has just fundamentally like changed a lot. So you could um look at um a picture of me in the early 2000s and i had like pigtails and like little floral dresses and like that was my jam and like i was like super into fishnets and like um a kind of like weird like cabaret femme something um and then it just mid 2000s just like shifted for me and i i haven't worn i mean i love dresses but like not for me anymore and i haven't worn that on stage for years i've been like doing suits and like i used to have really short hair but then i grew my hair out and now it's some weird combination of like gray and long hair short hair, whatever you know it's like <laughs> i didn't just paint my face with like white paint and wear black leather for 30 years and and you can make an argument that that you know uh, it's it's, it's uh, an inconsistent message or that it, you know it's also the right message because like i think like bowie versus gene simmons right i think like bowie is more like what you're talking about in the sense that let's not be the same all the time let's change and recently uh gene simmons had a and we'll stop with gene simmons in a minute but he had a an argument with david lee roth over on twitter about how this new version of david lee roth doesn't resemble the one that gene simmons thought was so great 40 years ago and it's like yeah okay but um, 
those guys were also almost 70s. Like, what do you want him to do? Be wearing tight leather exactly. pants and doing like, the shoot splits? It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I've always been fortunate. I, I, I think I've always been fortunate to um, have an audience that's about my age, right? So, you know, give or take, like, maybe five to 10 years on on either side. So, you know, I'm approaching my mid forties right now. Like, like, does my audience look the same way they did when we were in our twenties? Probably not, mm -hmm. you know, for the least amount of it, that was a lot of work. <laughs> Who wants to yeah. do that much work, you know, that's the, that's the least of it. So, um, you know, in, in, uh, I think Bowie's a nice example of like, you always got the impression that he was remaining authentic to his curiosity and his artistic, like, um, hunger to like, try out different things. Um, and I, I can identify with that. I mean, certainly sonically, um, and the way my records sound, I can really identify with that, but there is, there is some parallel to, yeah. And like, you know, I look the way I look now and it's very different than I did 20 years ago. And I think as it should be, I mean, I think if, you know, I, I worry sometimes, like I went to my high school reunion years ago, I won't do it again. And there were some people with 20 years under our belts who were dressing the same and looking the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I just sort of thought, but if you want to feel that you're changing as a person, I think those things should be shifting just to the left or to the right or up or down who knows yeah, what. however yeah however i mean and i have never gone to any reunions um oh, uh, <laughs> I, thought about, I certainly thought about going to my um uh what, what would be like my 20th my 20th high school reunion was uh, a few years ago and i went to high school in a, a really small town in the south and and, and it was pub public school but my high school class was only, only about 85 kids um oh, wow. yeah 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 so it's just it was all small and um it was uh, it was quite a, like a racially and economically like diverse group of group of kids but it was so small that everyone kind of had to hang together um you couldn't really like if you were gonna like separate at the lunch table there'd be like two people at your table so it was really like everybody was kind of smushed all together and um and i thought i thought about going and um, like logistically like just it, it didn't end up making sense and um and this you know the pictures were all on facebook afterwards so it's like i kind of i kind of got to see what it was and um and i didn't i didn't feel the need um i i, I was glad i didn't I was glad I didn't make the effort to go. It was sort of Facebook had already just taken care of what I wanted to know, <laughs> which yeah, was yeah. speaking of ego, which was like who looked old and who didn't look old I know, I know. and who had kids. And, you know, yeah. I, Facebook tells me all of that stuff. So Facebook can save you so much time in, in that regard. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I've never been to any of my college reunions because I was, um, I did finish college, but I was already a professional musician and already working. And so I was very often just not around. So other than the people I lived with in college, um, and I didn't even live on campus after the first year. Um, I I knew very few people in in my college community. So going to a reunion just didn't make any sense for me. Yeah, and I'd never been to one of those college reunions. And I, and I think because I didn't, I didn't really connect with anyone in college the way you're supposed to. It was very isolating for me. I don't even know if I realized it at the time. Um, but so I haven't done that either. And I, and I feel it might just reinforce that that alienated, alienating feeling that I had. Yeah. You know? I, already have, I already have plenty of that. I don't need any more. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need, let's not go back there. Can, um, I, ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. I, I see some tennis stuff in the background. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. look at you. Is that a stringing machine? It's a stringing machine. 
Oh, I'm yeah. an avid, avid tennis player. Come on. Are you really? Yeah, I play all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when you, when you come out to the Bay Area, we have to have a hit. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome. Okay. Oh, I love that. I'll t- let's totally make that happen. Yeah, I um, I started playing tennis when I was uh, six, seven, eight. Whatever, yeah, like, you know, parks and rec, like, just like summertime in at the courts and stuff. And, um, and I did that all through and played in high school. And then, um, and then I didn't play because I didn't do anything <laughs> for about five or six years. Uh, and then in my mid 20s, I started playing again. And, um, and I play, uh, I, I play once a week with a regular partner like through the winter and i also joined a doubles league this year oh there you go uh, for the first time yeah i'm not into it i'm not oh, into it because it's like well, i i love 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 doubles i've always been really good at it but but the, the the league is um full of people who play a lot more than i do and oh, you take okay. it really really seriously and and me and my team we just keep getting our ass kicked and it's not fun <laughs> Talk about yeah. the ego. Like I, I can, I've, you know, it's every once in a while. It's great to get your ass kicked because it's just right. It keeps you humble and reminds you that you like you, you know, whatever. But at some point, it also then becomes detrimental to have your ass kicked all the time. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, after a while, you're like, what am I learning? I right, I, I've learned how to lose gracefully. Yeah. I don't need to learn that over and over again. It's one of my, it's the one, it's one of the things that I haven't found a way to do on the road, right? So I, I, I run, I do yoga. Um, I sometimes I bring my bike with me if I'm traveling in my van, but like I have not yet figured out or willing to pay the money really to just like play tennis wherever I go. It's really, um, I mean, uh, sports are like my joy, um, but especially I love playing tennis. It's so great. And don't you find being active? being athletic being active is helpful to the creative brain yes yes and and back maybe maybe 10 years ago when you probably could still start a podcast and have something good happen to it (laughs) i had an idea for a podcast that would be conversations about sports with musicians and um because you know over the years i'm sure you know this as well like many many musicians like whether they're public about it or not like have a great relationship with sports like like the the sort of thing of like the wimpy like um like nerd who can't throw the football but is a good rock star is like not really that true um you know like anyway um so i had this idea for that podcast and never got it off the ground but um it does two things for me um one i have all kinds of repetitive awful things from being a musician on tour for 25 years especially in my neck and shoulders you know i just have like tons and tons of troubles that come up all the time i travel with like a special needs pillow i have a special mattress and i'm like all of that stuff is just from over the years of being a guitar player and holding and carrying so much gear tennis like relieves all of that for me because it keeps my neck and my shoulders just moving right um so if i play tennis once or twice a week like i my hands don't fall asleep at night I don't get um, pinched nerves in my rotator cuff. Like none, none of that happens for me. So that's like one reason I have to do it. Um, the other reason you're right is is absolutely creative. It's just like a different part of my brain, and um, and keeps my body and my brain connected, which is which is really important for playing music. You know, I I certainly can like push push everything up into my brain and just become like super intellectual about things, and um, playing music is is very physical and it it sort of helps keep those things connected for me. 
I don't think people realize like what you just said is so interesting to me because no one's ever mentioned it. The wear and tear of being a professional musician, just like you're saying, like carrying the gear, which, you know, in my brain, I think I think of Motley Crue's gear, that crazy, like, I'm like, who did all that stuff? But you just don't have roadies, right? And the Mountain Goats are, are a really beloved band, but I don't think they have roadies, do they? Uh, they do. They do, okay. Uh, they have okay. a sta- they have an awesome stage deck um who does a, who does a lot of stuff but but um it's it's not it's not like nobody in that band ever touches equipment we we do right. for sure for right. sure and um uh but even just even just have, having to sleep on a bus is really bad for your body and and all those guys from the mountain goats of course have it's only recently that the mountain goats have have uh, gone to that level of um being on a bus and having help with equipment and stuff so all of those guys in that band you know have, had already spent you know 25 30 years like carrying shit around so um even bands that that probably have some history <laughs> yeah. of care you know of carrying stuff but it's true no it's true and i i actually think um I mean, you're, this is probably uninteresting to your listeners, but um, I really hate driving. Driving is actually the worst thing for my body. And that's the thing that if I could get rid of in my current music career, I would. And that's you know what the pandemic was fantastic for. Like I hardly drove for 18 months and it was magical. Is it because the sitting, just the sitting? Yeah, for me, it's the sitting and not moving. And again, it's like, that's what the tennis offers me is like, it just keeps my neck and shoulders moving. Whereas like, if you're sitting in a car, there's all, you're not really, you're sort of like stuck in this kind of like prone position. And then if you have the, the years of instruments and carrying that I have, the, the worst thing you can do is like, it's that same thing with people who work on computers a lot. Yeah. You know, this is not, it's not totally specific to musicians, but folks that work on computers a lot, you know, where you're very, like kind of frozen because your attention is somewhere else. Um, that's, that's most of what it is for me is like just sitting still. Do you think like in terms now when you schedule tours, are those considerations that you make like, I don't yep. think like you said, oh, there's 19 hours between this city and that city. Let's see if we can <laughs> fill that in. I don't even do, I don't even do like five or six anymore. Like <laughs> even that's like too much for me. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and this fall tour that I'm doing, um, I have constructed it so that I am never alone on any of it. You know, it goes six weeks, goes all the way across the country. Um, and it has like um you know different different places different combinations of ways so that i'm never responsible for all of the driving myself there's always somebody in the van to like share it with me and um not just for company's sake but for the sake of like i I literally cannot sit and drive anymore for five or six hours yeah i'm i live here in the bay area and i took a trip to monterey which is like an hour and 45 minutes from where i am and like halfway there, I was like, eh, <laughs> like things are starting to like, my neck was hurting. I'm like, what's happening? No, it's, it's also to, to me, like a grand waste of my time. And that is not like an ego statement. There are so many other things I could be doing constructively with my time yeah. um, during the day that um, whether it is like self-care for myself, working on my business, being available for like friends in my life, all of those things that like enrich us and keep us healthy and keep us like ready to make things and to help people unavailable, unavailable because you're sitting 
having to pay attention to the road. <laughs> you know, and again, like, I'm not a saint, like I definitely text and drive. But like, <laughs> I don't I always feel bad about it, of course. Um, but <laughs> it's like, it's, it is it is also I do really feel like it's it's a it's a waste of my time to sit behind the wheel of a car. It's also one of those things where I'm so obsessed with with eating healthy. And I feel like when you're on the road, that these decisions get made uh, for you because of just by a virtue of where you are and where you are not, that it's sort of like, you can't make a smoothie when you're in a car, you can't do so. You how do you if you carried that? your magic bullet with you? That's true. <laughs> yeah, it has no, changed I, my life, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, mine too. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting, because uh you know it's a lot easier now <clears throat> excuse me than it than it was um even even five years ago um especially 10 years ago so so i when i'm in my own van i carry a cooler and i kind of make like a daily or every other day trip to whole foods and at least attempt to like collect two of three meals um that can uh, that, that can that can you know so that like dinner is the wild card because you're probably at a venue um and so if i can like manage like two or three meals in some like somewhat healthy manner like i do pretty well but but you know that's only easier with like you know it's not as this was fun actually because i was just this month with the mountain goats and and we went in um we started north carolina and we went to basically all the COVID hotspots. we went to georgia alabama uh texas um which was pretty nuts but but even if there was no whole foods you know because we're on a bus so i didn't have a car and so what could i walk to um you'd even go to some place like a walmart or um there's this great grocery um chain in the south called heb and you'd even go to just something like that which is the equivalent of like stop and shop or or i don't you know like food lion or something um and they have healthy choices oh, they do okay yeah yeah they have they have a section where like you can buy your oat milk if you want or like if you need to like get some salad ingredients or like some fresh berries or something like that's available at those supermarkets which is a huge chain change from you know fire so if you put if you put the effort into it i mean but that's also you know part of being on a bus was that i had the day to like search out right. healthy food <laughs> right right and the old punk rock idea of getting the van which i always found really romantic and awesome and idealistic is not really sustainable because it's not healthy and i mean I, look if you're, if you're 21 years old you feel yeah you, no no yeah. do it do yeah. it you should you should have that experience but i had that experience and i'm ready to have others right right you could i think you you cycle out of it and i think you should yeah i do right? and, and if you still dig it then you can still do it and i don't dig it anymore and and <laughs> i think the, i think the pandemic just really clarified that for me um it's interesting to be putting out a record um after the pandemic having gotten real clear on like what I will and won't do uh in terms of touring and just having to be okay with the the consequences of that I guess I've gotten all hard I'm in for good or I give up till you get a space or a kiss
how do you feel? What's your general anxiety level about about walking into rooms where you don't know who, where everybody's been and and where they're going? It's pretty high. Um, you know, again, I spent the last month like working working for someone else, so um, I was a team player in in those decisions and and really admired the the uh, grace that that organization handled these questions with right because our tour started in the first part of august and um i think the conversation that we were having at the end of june was very different than the conversation we're having at the end at the beginning of august right it was changing really really quickly um and you know i had done my first shows in 18 months i had done a little run at the end of june um and i had gotten really sick afterwards oh. like i had done four shows by myself driving around and then i got really really sick afterwards and the conversation at that time was not was that covid because that literally wasn't the conversation and i didn't get a covid test because i thought i'm vaccinated i probably just have a bad cold because i haven't seen anybody for 18 months and i don't know the answer to that um, but six weeks later, month later, the conversation is really different. And as the, you know, the, the leader of an organization, like, like a band out on the road in the month of August needed to make some decisions around that. Um, and I'll tell you what really, what really helped was, um, leaders in the music community like Jason Isbell, um, who have a lot of power and a lot of reach and a lot of attention being able to say, look, things are different we're mandating masked and vaxxed and for someone to do that like that on the level that he did that which made all the news you know second week of august yeah and, um really cleared a path for smaller artists to be able to say you know what that's what we want to and so once the mountain goods organization um, made that decision i felt much better about what we were doing um i think i think everybody did um the for me the masking part is is way more important the vax it's very important to be vaxxed yes but but the masking thing actually seems really much more important to me so so to be able for me to walk into a room and see everyone masked feels a lot better however i'm still not masked <laughs> when i'm playing right. in the band and that doesn't make me feel great you know for me to be i think a a, a a peer of mine that I was talking to recently about this um, was basically saying like, I I'm basically doing calisthenics in front of you with no mask. Right. And, and that's, that's that I have anxiety about that for sure. Um, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about it, well, two things. One, one is that I don't know yet what we're doing for the fall, like in terms of my organization and like, um, I know what I want, but we have not yet um, had the conversation with the venues about it because things are changing so quickly. So, you know, soon I'll have a conversation with the venues, you know, on my tour and, and see where we're at with that. Um, but the other thing is like, I don't have a degree in public health. Like, why am I making these decisions? Right. You know, and, and I think that's my main feeling about this is like, I why is this up to me? Um, and if people don't want to go to shows right now, I don't blame them. I know. I know. I totally understand that. And I also, I, I heard this really frightening thing about a year ago. This doctor said, the worst thing you can do during a pandemic is to have everybody doing something different. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, right. And I, I, I'm, 
it's too long a too long a story about how we got to this place like politically yeah like um it is really frustrating to me that you know uh the mountain goods organization has to make those decisions jason isbell has to make those decisions um you know there's no guidance there's no leadership and like we are not i'm not even privy to the numbers you know we had one venue cancel uh a show because they had seen the numbers in their county rising that is awesome that is a great thing and nobody blamed them for it like i i don't have access to those numbers so how could i i right be great if i did or someone who was able to interpret them professionally and correctly <laughs> could tell me it's a bad yeah. idea to go to Easton, maryland in the second week of october whatever it is um yeah so i you know i i if i look out and see a room full of people wearing masks um i i feel best um, and whether or not I'm going to be able to mandate that for my fall tour is an open question. I wish yeah. it weren't. That's what it is. It's a tricky one. And I, and I also, and then you have on the other side of things you have, which I think a lot of people are still reeling from this is, you know, you have Eric Clapton's position. Um, and what is Eric Clapton? I, forgive me, but I don't pay attention to Eric Clapton. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't either. Um, but he was all over Twitter in the sense that he doesn't want people to be, have to be vaccinated to go to his shows um yeah he's kind of emerged as an anti-vaxxer among other things and um and it's been very troubling and and again so the divisiveness that happened politically over this is also happening in, in the arts community although i think on a much smaller scale um yeah. but when you have people who have a who have a fairly loud voice in terms of their their reach like eric clapton um, there are a lot of people who are very supportive of his position, which is troubling. But a lot of people have been incredibly disturbed by that uh, in the sense that there's no, doesn't seem to be any concern for his audience uh, or for himself. I, it's, it's peculiar, very peculiar. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I often approach it as like, you, you need to be protected from me because I'm the yeah. one that has like been yesterday in Alabama, today in Louisiana, and now I'm in Texas. So like, don't you, you should protect yourself from me. I'm probably a vector, you know? Yeah. It's yes. I, I totally get that. And it's like, it's like, you don't know where I've been. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So therefore we should all wear masks. I'm with you. Um, in terms of your own self-preservation, in terms, like I remember I was talking to Dan Byrne a little while back and he had had an accident where he couldn't another play guitar. Tennis player. Another tennis player. And, uh, yes, he's a, he, and he's had this, these beautiful paintings of tennis players for the US Open. He's having an exhibit. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. And, and he, he and I are supposed to have a hit when he comes up here as well. Um, but he had gotten hurt you know, I can't remember what it was. It was a terrible accent where his hand. Yes, yeah, I was just about to ask you if if you knew how his hand was. I believe he's okay, um, wow. yeah. but he couldn't play guitar for a long time, and suddenly his livelihood, which is like a guy with a guitar, now he's just a guy who needs a guitarist. Mm -hmm. um, do you think about that in terms of yourself? In terms of like, hey, maybe I won't go do. Maybe I won't go surf Mavericks or something like do you, do you think like I'm not going to yeah. do that feels too I, do, I mean, I do, I do, I do make a few choices around that. Um, I have many years now played on a softball in played in a softball league here in Western Massachusetts. It's so fantastic. It's like, uh, uh, it was begun in like the mid seventies as a kind of separatist women's like, like lesbian league. Uh, now it's, um, uh, trans inclusive and it's it's really great uh 
Anyway, I've played in it for years, and I don't pitch and I don't catch. Oh, those are those are my choices um, because of, I am not a very good softball player, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I, I, I can't afford to be hit in the face <laughs> by a line drive, <laughs> which. I don't think anyone can, but um, it's not worth it to me to try that. And then as a, as a catcher, um, I, I, I'm not a good enough athlete. I don't have enough experience catching that I could very easily like smash my fingers. So um, those are the two positions that I have just avoided um, out of concern for my career. Um, but uh, the other ones are, are fine. I remember hearing when years ago, uh, I think I was in high school, Tom Petty got mad not at me. Tom Petty got mad and he and he punched the wall in anger and broke his hand. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, like, yeah. That's classic. I right? mean, baseball players do that stupid shit all the time. All the time. I remember there was something. So maybe the World Series or something. Like I can still think of the pitcher that did. I think it was like a Rangers pitcher named like Kenny Rogers or something, who got really mad or something and like punched somebody that broke his hand as like lets his team down in the World right. Series. Right. Right. It's like it's sort of like now what you know. But those are things to think about, right? Those are considerations. For sure. And and um, I don't really have a union. I mean, kind of have a union. I mean, I am in a union, but it's not the kind of union that is going to, like, give me workers' comp and, like, take care of me if I get injured. Um, and uh, there isn't really, like, a clone of me. <laughs> right. Like, substitute <laughs> what I do um so yeah I do I do think about I do think about that stuff um you know it's been nicer in my uh, later years um to do things besides music um still music related like for example teaching um or producing records for people that um kind of uh, allow me to do what I do without having to play an instrument which is very, very helpful so like if I did if I did get hurt now I do have options right Right. And how do you like the teaching experience? And, and does it feel like when I walk into a room, there's a certain electricity of a classroom that that's the closest I'll ever feel to getting on a stage because I'm not a musician. Um, how is the experience similar to you that when you sort of walk into a room and you're teaching a class, that the, the way you're being looked at, the way you're being observed and received, does it feel similar? It does not feel similar because I... Um... I don't want to walk into a classroom um, with the type for me walking on stage is like an exercise in like control and precision and like presentation. And I want to walk into a classroom as like a facilitator. Mm -hmm. So, so those things are very different. Um, I mean, I certainly um, enjoy the opportunity to like get listened to, <laughs> you know, which is yeah. nice as a professor, but um, I, I love teaching. And it's not something I would have imagined uh, for myself. Um, but there's a, a great girls rock camp here in Western Massachusetts that about 15 years ago, the people that were running it, uh, the executive director sort of was like, I just was friendly with her. And she was like, you know, I think you'd be a good teacher. And I was like, nah, whatever. My mom's a teacher and that's not me. Um, and uh, she was like, why don't you give it a try? Come and just do a night, you know, where you just talk about whatever. And um and uh and i was good at it you know i was good at it and it and it took me a while to then 
embrace that and enjoy it and sort of take it on as an identity. Um, but, but now I, I just really, I really dig it. Like I love helping people, adults or, you know, younger people. Like I just love helping them like figure out what they want to do and, and express themselves. Like I, I just, I feel like my job as a teacher is to like take the, pr the pressure off someone and to give them permission. Like that's really like all I feel like my job is. So, you know, my main teaching philosophy, um, is songs are not precious and just like i just work from that place of like just to take the pressure off try things out doesn't work try it again and that i just that's the person i love being like in the classroom um and it's nice to be with it's nice to, to work with young people um you know i've enjoyed my students of all ages but i really have enjoyed my college students the most because they're such a, like a really interesting place in life where they they are articulate they have some life skills um their their art is um kind of technically happening they're not still learning how to play or anything like that but they don't quite know who they are yet or what they want to be right and yeah. um they're sort of triangulating against things so like you'll show them a movie and they'll be like okay i don't want to do that but i do like this part and uh i just think that's a really fun position for them for me to catch people up and do you, when you say songs are not precious, do you mean that, expand on that idea of Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I mean when I say songs are not precious is that um, you have written many songs in the past, or some songs, maybe even just one, but you will write more in the future. And um, you will have songs that you like more than others. You will have bad, but none of them are to be cherished and put up on a shelf and thought of as like now you've achieved something or to compare to compare to it's just like keep them all the same like um think about fish in a bucket like you just keep catching fish and throw it in the bucket you know and like some of the fish are bigger than others some of them taste better than others but it's just fish in a bucket and um you know for me that like volume of creativity is is the best way to increase like quality right that's a, a little bit of an intellectual way to describe it but but basically it's if you write two songs in your life and they're great you probably write better songs if you wrote a hundred songs mm. still get two even better songs out of it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so um for you know and i i practice what i preach in the sense of i've been in the songwriting group now for um, seven or eight years, it's a weekly songwriting group and the, the leader of it gives a prompt and you just have to write a song using that prompt, uh, turn it in every Friday by midnight. And, um, you know, sometimes what I write is super shit and sometimes something kind of good comes out of it. And every once in a while I'll go back and look at the, you know, 20 something, you know, I'll do it for a few months at a time and I'll go back and look at those 20 something songs songlets little guys and and just be like are any of these worth working on more and then you could turn them into something even better and um you know my last three albums i would say like 75 to 80 percent of those records are from my songwriting group mm, you know wow. just this the songs came from this you know kind of outside of me like prompt um in the other songwriters that are in the group you know we all make records and stuff and it's fun because you can go and you can listen to Chris Delmhorst's record or um Nat Natalia Zuckerman's record and you'll find phrases that are 
uh, common, and those were phrases from our songwriting group. That is too cool. That's it's really cool. But, that, cool. but anyway, that's all to say songs are not precious, you know, like that. I mean, I obviously like have, have some songs that like people enjoy uh, more than others. Um, I have songs that are more popular uh, than others, but like I don't consider them better or worse songs. Like I just like try to keep going. And that has worked for me. And also there's the idea that, and this is, and sometimes I have to remind myself of this still, um, is that when you write something that's awful and you know it's not, you're not gonna use it, right? And, and, you, and maybe you see it through, maybe you don't. Um, and you walk away, it's, it's terrible, right? It's like a bad meal. It's just not good. It's the worst feeling. It's the worst <laughs> feeling, but- But what's bad, the best feeling? It, <laughs> the best feeling is when you make something you feel really great about. And the moment of discovery for me, like when I come up with like the right line at the right time in the right place, and it's like, that that feeling is so good that like i just want to keep pursuing that and in order to do that songs are not precious you just have to keep writing yeah that's so true and and you're right that moment where you we, that needle just gets celestially threaded right like it's almost like you it just happens um there is no greater feeling I, it, to no, me, it's great it's beautiful right? I think it almost trumps romantic love. Like it's that powerful. I 100% think it does. You can ask any of my ex-partners. Um, <laughs> no, it's really, it's hard to, it's hard to say that out loud uh, in, in some ways, but for me, that's, that's absolutely true. And I, I think, um, I think people who have experienced that do know that. And obviously it's like possible to have like intimate relationships <laughs> like, yes. within the world of like ecstatic creative experiences. Um, but, <laughs> but it is really like, if that's, if that's your thing and like when you do it and do it right, it's, it is, it's absolutely the best. And for me, that doesn't happen on stage. Like, you know, like I, like my, my great moment is where I'm like sitting at my kitchen table and I'm about to put something, put the song down, and then I think of the answer. Or, you know, I'm noodling around on the guitar about to stop, and then something occurs to me, and you you get that little pop moment of where it comes together and elevates. Nothing better. Nothing better. It's literally like an alignment of the universe. It's temporary, as it should be. It shouldn't be permanent, which is why an artist keeps chasing after it. You can't, you can't possess it. But when you get it, when you get access to it, I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing that like it. Brings us back, I think, all the way to, for me, to the beginning of our conversation, which is that, like, you cannot possess it. You'd only receive it or just be around when it happens. And that takes the ego out of it, too. I mean, Songs Are Not Precious also reminds you that, like, you're not in control of this. This is like, you know, your job is to, I use this metaphor with my students and kind of beat it to death, but like, your job is to fish, right? So that means you have to get the right equipment. That means you have to like have knowledge of the river. You have to think about the weather. You have to like think about, okay, this is the right time of day for what I wanna do. So like you go and you do all the preparation and you just need to wait. And some days you're gonna catch a bunch of fish and some days you're not. But the point is to like keep fishing and keep trying and keep improving your equipment and keep improving your knowledge of the river. All of that stuff, like what you can control, like continue to improve at that maintain it and what you can't control just let it go from your hands you know it's not your fault if you didn't write a great song today try again tomorrow right that's such a great sentiment and and there is in my own work as a writer I have just 
thousands of pages of garbage, but those thousands of pages that are not good provide a really good contrast for when you do it correctly and you go, oh, that's, that's yeah. it when it's working. Totally. I wish that I, I wish that I had the time to apply all of this to tennis, for example, like I, <laughs> if I had the time to play as much tennis so that like the garbage tennis <laughs> could like help me get somewhere else. But yes. It's like the time, I mean, it's, it's the time and the money um, required to do that. Um, I just don't have right now. So sometimes I have to live with the garbage tennis. But you know what? We all have to live with the garbage tennis. And even someone like Serena Williams, I remember years ago, she won her semifinal match at the US Open. She had the finals in two days. And they said to her right after the match, what are you going to do now? And they, you, they wanted to hear her say, I'm going to go take a hot tub and drink something exotic and relax. And she said, I'm going to go practice my surf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I was oh. like, that was bad fucking ass to say that because it's like, yeah, I'm not really happy with the way I won today and mm -hmm. it needs to be better. And it also made me think that, you know, maybe someone who was a master at the game doesn't see themselves as having mastered the game. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's wise. I mean, I will take any model or advice from Serena Williams. I think she's, a <laughs> I really do. I really do. You know, for years people would be like, um, it was a super common interview question where people would be like, oh, who are your influences, right? And, and they're expecting me to say, Ani DeFranco, the Indigo Girls, whatever it is that, that chemistry that results in like female singer songwriters of the early 2000s. And, um, and my answer was always, you know, David Ortiz, who's the, you know, epic slugger for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Nina Williams, like, like, um, there's an emphasis on a work ethic in sports that um, isn't so much part of a conversation in music, right? Because it's supposedly you're supposed to like rise from your hangover and be brilliant. And, um, and instead, I, you know, I just appreciate people who are interested in that work. I like the idea of being inspired by something out of your milieu. But there's also a huge through line, discipline, endurance, patience. It's all the same. Yeah, see, stuff. this is my podcast. Yes. <laughs> this is my podcast about music and sports, which someday I'll find the time to make. <laughs> you, by the way, you do seem like a busy person. You remind me of myself in the sense that, that I don't I don't see you as someone binge watching 10 shows in a row. Oh, I'm no, like, I do do that too. Oh, you do? Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, How do you find I'm, the time? Well... I, I don't do much at night. I guess that's what <laughs> like, I actually keep work hours, um, uh, which is really helpful. I work Monday to Thursday, um, 11 to five. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this has also started during the pandemic and it's been really, really great for me. Like I don't work on Fridays and I don't work on the weekend and work looks like answering emails, scheduling interviews, um, uh, practicing, uh, and I just I don't and um, it's been great so like I get a lot done during those hours um, and then I watch tv or play tennis or you know do whatever it is that that uh, feeds me and keeps me whole that just you know I've interviewed thousands of people and you're the first person to say that and that seems like the most sensible thing now that I think about well, it. I mean I guess what's coming to from me is like um trying to uh i don't know like the kind of jobs that we have like seem like boundaryless yeah and um 
think that like this whole like capitalism idea of like grind culture like I'm just not interested in and so like using my calendar as like kind of like a radical weapon um feels feels really right to me because for me that's like my most precious resource is time so like if you if you if you get a spot on my calendar like I'm gonna show up for you and I hope you show up for me because that is like my ultimate um a way to show respect and to receive respect and like that's how you get shit done yeah um, so for me to draw a line around my work it's been great you're well boundaried in terms of like it so you won't answer an email about no. music at seven o'clock at night no yeah not unless i mean if it's like i'm trying to think of an example um uh, maybe a song is premiering the next day and the link is wrong. <laughs> okay. That would, right. Something like that, where like my refusal <laughs> will have some consequences. Uh, but for the most part, no, like there's, there's very few things that I will make me do that. I love the idea that, cause you were referring to the mountain goods as the enterprise and the idea of like the Aaron offices will mm -hmm. be closed after, yeah. after this period of time. Yeah. And I also, you know, we're, I'm talking to you from a room in my house that is like my studio and um, you know, I keep a to-do list of things to do, but it doesn't leave this room, yeah. uh, you know, and, and my instruments, you know, stay in this room. And when I go sit on that couch that you see behind me, that's when I watch prestige television. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm going to have a conversation with an awesome person today, I'm going to come and sit at my desk. And then when it's done, I'm going to close that door and go take a walk. So I think that's really, really and maybe play some tennis with my tennis partner tomorrow morning. I'm hoping it doesn't rain. So what, what kind of racket are you using these days, Aaron? I'm using my high school racket. Are you? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's, um, it's Yonex. Um, and I couldn't even tell you, I'd have to go get it to tell you the thing, but I mean, obviously I've changed the strings a bunch um, since then, but that's it. It's like, it's like, um, uh, so I must've gotten it in like, I bet I got it in like 1990 actually. And, and um, it still feels great. And it's also like the, the whole shape of like racket world has already like come back around to it. So yeah. it's, so it's actually like the same size as like most new rackets um and very similar to most new rackets because it's sort of like i'm just missed i didn't participate in the whole like big 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 face like weighted whatever they had the snowshoe size rackets and then they made them mm -hmm. really long and then they're like yeah. and then they did swing back around and yonix has always made a really powerful like heavier it has a lot yeah, of like just, like muscle to it it works great for me um i always I, you don't see it around that much um and uh, I, it makes me happy that like Naomi Osaka like has Yonex. Yeah. Is, all right. Cool. You know, speaking of Naomi Osaka, I was thinking about her a lot lately in the sense that I love that she spoke out about mental health because I feel like, you know, she has such a powerful voice and I'm crazy about her. I just think she's such a humble, remarkable athlete. Um, but saying what she said also open the door for people like Serena Williams, who, who you would think would be, you know, before her and saying this of also saying, yeah, I've struggled with mental health issues as well. Um, and I also think that those kinds of issues for musicians are not really addressed. Everyone just expects you to sort of like do the dance and do the thing. And they expect you to, it's, it's extreme, right? So 
so right Naomi Osaka also gives um along along with her is someone like Simone Biles right who's also giving us permission and showing us a different way which is which I think it has repercussions much, much bigger than sport, um, you know, and so be interesting to see if it affects music. But the, the thing that happens with music is like, um, uh, nobody pays attention to it until someone has like a breakdown, right? And so like the the story of each one behind the music of like, of like, then I can't think of an artist right now, but w- whatever it is, artists like completely lost their mind. <laughs> <laughs> to cancel their tour and then go to rehab for whatever months like that's the story we hear about and we don't hear more about like the quiet struggles of the daily struggles of like physical health or um you know um less glamorous um mental health issues or or the opposite either you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of musicians who have made like choices in their life like to be sober or to work on their mental health or something who who are also like not those stories aren't aren't being told either. There's a few. There's a few every once in a while. There's sort of that trope of the like, musician gets clean. Like Jason Isbell is a great example of that. Yeah. Like his his sobriety record is a really fucking good record, um, you know. It and so we sometimes hear that conversation a little bit, but only if the artist has like spectacularly blown up, in some other way. So, but uh, but yeah, it'd be nice to it'd be nice to hear people talking. I mean, the same thing with like in, in the office, it'd be really great to like have a better conversation if you work in an office um, about that. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's changing. Um, you, someone like Naomi Osaka still has to accumulate an incredible amount of power um, and prestige before she could even dream of doing that. Yeah, that's so true. And whether it's Britney Spears shaving her head in a gas station bathroom or Andy Partridge of, of XTC freezing on stage and saying, I can't do that anymore. It's, it's anxiety producing. I'm never playing live again. Those are, those are issues that they're presented as footnotes, but they're actually really seismic shifts in someone's mental uh, approach to how they live their life. Those are big yeah. deals. Yeah. There's also a, um, a baseball player that I always think of, um, Dontrell Willis, who was a pitcher for the Marlins on their World Series team. Don't ask me why I know this, but um, he struggled openly with um, anxiety issues and was really was really open about it, which I just really appreciated, you know, and he was able to like, he had his issues publicly, he was able to deal with them, and he was also able to come back um, and be more open about it. And that's very rare in a sport like Major League Baseball. Well, baseball, tennis, rock and roll, I think we covered everything. Um, Aaron, so much fun to talk to you. I had a blast. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. What a great way to uh, and to get, th- get through my workday today. <laughs> yeah, come back on the show. I would love it. Thank you, Alex, so much. awesome Aaron is so cool and I think what was what was said about answering emails after business hours I'm taking that to heart sometimes I'll email people at like midnight and be like I really want you to be on the podcast (laughs) I think it sounds a little desperate 
business hours, close them up, respond the next day. Good lesson from Aaron McEwen and just a great conversation. The new album, Kiss Off, Kiss Off, is phenomenal. It is so energizing and so cool. Get it. AaronMcEwen.com. That's Aaron, M-C-K-E-O-W-N.com. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com will tell you all about our radio station. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. And you can also email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Will I respond after 7 o'clock? Probably. It's going to take me a while to get that lesson absorbed and change my wiring. Uh, But uh, anyway... Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, rate and review. And uh, I think that's it. It sounds like a lot of things. But as you know, it's simply a hit of the button and you're done. But do spread the word. We certainly appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Go Along, Get Along. From Aaron McEwen's fabulous new album, Kiss Off, Kiss Off. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time, right here, on Stereo Embers, the podcast only, on Bombshell Radio.
Yeah, I'll 